0: Well, today I began a a new sermon series that is completely centered on Jesus. And uh, I think it's going to be one that you'll enjoy. If you've been in church for a long time, you may think on the front end, ah, this is just going to be rehearsing old stuff that I knew. But this is for a lot of us who have been in church a long time and for a lot of people who maybe got out of church for a long time, who need a fresh dose of the real thing And not sort of a twisted Bible Belt uh, churchy version of Jesus, but just the real picture of who Jesus is. And I hope this will help us to rediscover that. I think you'll come away uh, encouraged. But I want to begin today with just kind of a confessional word about myself and, and sort of my background. Because I will tell you that I am as much of a church insider as you'll ever meet. Uh, I'll turn 46 next month, and that means I've been in church almost 47 years. And some of you know what I mean by that. You know, I've been in church since nine months before I was born. have always been in church. I knew when I was a teenager that God was calling me to ministry, knew that I'd spend the rest of my life in vocational ministry and just having spent all of my adult life as a pastor or student pastor and on church staff, there are some good things and some bad things about being a church insider. Um, on the on the bad side, one of the things is that you can tend to become kind of cynical and see things from a little bit of a different point of view. I'll give you a good example. Uh, I've spent a, you know a good many years on Sunday mornings preaching three services at a time. We do two now, but you know for years at coach different seasons. In that story, we would uh, do three services at a time, and a typical deal for us would be that we would a lot of times we'd have a pack service in the first two services, and then the late service would be the one that would be only about a third full. And a typical response on a good day like that would be people coming out of either of the first two services would be like, man, it was good today. You could just feel the Spirit moving in there today. And I'm just being honest to say that as a, an insider, I got to the point where a lot of times I'd feel like, no, the room was just full. And that's what you felt. Because we did the exact same thing. I preached the exact same message with the same passion. We sang the same, song, same songs. We did the same thing, and people didn't walk out of the third service going, Whew, man, we could just feel it in there today. And you know what the only difference was? Two-thirds of the crowd was missing. And I know some of you may be like, well, you're just taking the Holy Spirit out of that. I'm confessing it as a problem. But I'm also admitting that sometimes we miss the boat as church people, we, sometimes we will confuse things and we'll go, Whew, man, God was just all over that. When sometimes it's just like, they, we just sang some you know, some of our favorite songs this weekend. We just Our hearts connected with that because it's the songs that we liked and it helped us to worship or it was a message. You know? And it's kind of funny, you learn certain people. It's like if I preached a message that was really, you know, step on toes, hard on sin. Some people love that. It's like, Whew, man, I can feel the spirit in that today. And part of me is just like, I just preach the kind of message you like. And again, I'm admitting... It's not that I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is in what we're doing, but I'm just admitting that it's easy to become hardened when you sort of see this thing where you go, we don't always get it right. A lot of times what we're identifying is God was in it or didn't really feel God today. We don't sometimes really even have a clue what part God had in things. I'll tell you on a bigger scale where being a church insider sort of left me missing the boat for a good portion of my life is... Having been in church, and we didn't just go to church. We were so involved in everything. And Through all of my adult life, just so immersed in the life of the church. I really got to a point, beginning even as a child and in middle school and high school, where I feel like in a lot of ways, I boiled down everything in the Christian experience and in the church experience to one gigantic game of Jesus says. How many of you... Know what it was like as a child to play Simon Says. You remember that game? You know. Simon Says, take three steps forward. Simon Says, take two bunny hops backwards. Simon Says, raise your hand. Put your hand out. Simon didn't say it. You know that game. Well, like lots of other church people, I learned to turn this whole thing into a gigantic game of Jesus Says. Jesus Says, Jump. Jesus says, read your Bible. Jesus says, say your prayers. Jesus says, go to church. Jesus says, don't go to rated R movies. Jesus says, don't listen to secular music. Jesus says, tie. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says. says. And it's like it all becomes a big game. And here's the really scary thing. I got good at this game. I got way better than most at this game. And as I began to get older, later middle school, high school, college age, I observed that most of my peers quit playing this game. I mean, those of us that grew up in church together, it it looked like we were all playing Jesus says pretty well as kids. But there comes a time when most of your peers don't want to play Jesus says anymore. I didn't like that. And so my response was, I judge the daylights out of those people. I'm thinking inside, though I'm not saying it out loud, you're not really a Christian because you don't play Jesus says anymore. You're not doing any of the stuff that Jesus says. And all the stuff Jesus says not to do, you're doing it. There's a part of me that's judging them like crazy, and yet there's a part of me that deep down inside, completely silently, is kind of envying them. It's like, that looks sort of fun. I mean, when you quit playing, Jesus says there's no rules to have to follow. You can still go to the movie even though it's rated R. You can listen to any radio station you want to. You just you don't have to do all this stuff. So I, I've sort of got this whole conflict going on inside because there's a part of me that's mad that it's like, you're supposed to be playing a game. You show up for church on Sunday and that's all you do. You never play Jesus Says during the week. And I don't like that. You're supposed to be better than that. Besides, I'm not crazy about following these rules either. If i got to be miserable, you should be miserable with me. Anybody ever feel that way? Ever, anybody ever play a game of Jesus says for a bit? Well, the reality is a lot of us who have been in church for very long, we've experienced some Jesus says. And if the truth be told, some of you, some of you listening, watching online, may have had a long season in your life where you bailed on church, where you totally bailed on the whole Jesus says experience because you got around people who lived like that. Religious folks, and they had their own rule list. And whether you completely walked away and didn't have anything to do with church or Christianity, or it may just be that in your heart you walked away, but we live in the Bible Belt, so you kept up the appearance by still coming to church some. But in reality, just in some significant way, there was a falling away. There was a walking away. And it may very well have been because the version of Christianity that you were around for a good season was one that was full of do, 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 don't, 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 all those lists. And you got so fed up with that, that you just quit. And if that's your story, can I just tell you, I don't blame you. I don't blame you a bit. Jesus says, stinks. It's a lousy game. And it's a terrible substitute for the real thing. This next several weeks, we're going to do our best to rediscover the real thing. And it doesn't look anything like Jesus says. The game. I know this is hard to do, but it actually is so fun and refreshing to do. But if, if today we could peel away everything that we've ever known about Jesus, about church, and about the Christian experience, that, that would be very difficult to do. But if you had the ability to just press a button, erase, and it's all gone. We just could come Tabula rasa, just blank slate. and And this morning, just begin to read the Gospels knowing nothing of Jesus, Christianity, or the church. Wouldn't that be refreshing? I promise you it would. Can I tell you what you'd discover if you could just start with a clean slate and do that? You wouldn't find anything resembling the game, Jesus says. What you would find is Jesus showing up, revealing God to us, and everything about it is completely relational. It's what's so incredibly winsome, inviting, and fun about it. It's totally relational. You find Jesus showing up, revealing the Father to us. And he did this a bunch of different ways, but there were like three primary metaphors that he used to reveal the Father to us. The the first one... I've already alluded to it is the relationship of a father with his child and he was saying God is father and he's not like some reflection of your daddy he is truly the father you may have had a good dad a mediocre dad a terrible dad don't worry about it because that's not what we're talking about we're talking about God being a father who truly does protect and provide instruct and correct and he's He's truly what a daddy's supposed to be. You want to know what God is like? God is like the never-ending, never-ebbing love of a dad for his child. And the second metaphor that he used is, he said, it's like a, a vine and its branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And the branches have to be just so tied into the vine because all of their strength, everything comes from the vine and when they just simply abide in the vine, when they just stay attached and draw from the vine, they'll naturally bear fruit, and, and they'll, you know, they'll be alike. And you know, again, it's just a picture for us—totally rela- relational. It's not that I'm going to stick you out there in the world and you be good and you try and bear fruit and accomplish some good things. No, it's all about no. Just press in, abide in, enjoy this relationship, and there will be so many good things poured into you and there'll just be fruit that'll naturally come out of the fact that you just abided in the vine and then the third one is that of a shepherd and sheep and i realize that's kind of a bad example for us because we don't you know we don't get sheep we don't know sheep around here but they did in jesus day so he talked about it all the time and he said you know i'm the good shepherd and you're the sheep and a lot of stuff that they would naturally get you know sheep They don't understand a lot. They don't know a lot. Pretty much all you need for a sheep to learn is to listen to the shepherd and follow the shepherd. The shepherd's going to keep you in a safe place. He's going to lead you to food. He's going to lead you to drink. He's going to make sure you're protected and taken care of. You don't have to learn to be a brave sheep. You don't have to learn to be a sheep that scares off wolves. Wolves aren't scared of sheep. They're scared of shepherds. So just stay near the shepherd. Learn his voice. And that's what Jesus taught. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me. They know my voice. They follow me. Everything in all of this can be summed up in that one term, can't it? It's this incredibly relational thing. And it doesn't look anything like the game of Jesus is. I just want to tell you, if along the way you ever bought into anything that was more than that or less than that, you missed the boat. You may have been like me. I was a Christian. I was just a Christian who had bought into something that was other than that. Something that was other than this completely relational thing and at the heart of this all is one invitation it's the one invitation Jesus gave wherever he went it was so simple it was just the invitation come follow me just come follow be with me connect with me learn from me let me pour into you you just follow me And that's what it's all about. That's what this whole series is entitled. Just follow me. Well, of all the different people and circumstances where Jesus issued that invitation, it's part of what's so beautiful is whoever he encountered, rich or poor, same invitation. Learned, totally unschooled, follow me. People who were good, bad, didn't matter, just come follow me. Well, one of the best stories that we have where this is the heart, the, the core message of that story is recorded by Matthew. And part of what's cool about this is it's Matthew telling his own story. It's like Jesus, Matthew can't tell the Jesus story without describing the day that Jesus first comes upon Matthew. And so if you've got your Bibles and want to read along there, it's in Matthew chapter 9. If not, just pull out the outline that hopefully you were given when you walked in the door. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Where Matthew says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, first of all, in setting the stage, I I need to not just assume that when he says tax collector that that really registers for us because I think if you don't maybe aren't real familiar with the setting in that time, it might be easy to go tax collector or that would be like IRS agent today. No, it really wouldn't. It's not... The way they looked at a tax collector wasn't... I mean, you might not be crazy about the IRS. I assure you, you don't feel about the IRS the way that we do about how they felt about tax collectors. The closest equivalent that we could come up with today might be the 22-year-old long-haired guy that hangs out behind the gas station selling drugs to kids, but that probably doesn't quite get us there. Probably it's more like the person who's a sex offender or, you know, who's a pedophile, and and I'm not saying this to put down people who've got drug issues or sexual issues. I'm just saying, if you want to visualize, you know, what kinds of people we look at today and go, ooh, not looking for them to be my inner circle of friends, okay, would you agree those people are going to be pretty far down the list? You know, the average person is going to go, oh, if you're dealing drugs, or if you're hurting children, or whatever, you know, then we're not sure we'd want you in the circle. All right, that's the kind of, Way that they would have identified or tried not to identify with a tax collector, people that they were not looking to be around. And the reason that they were so despised is understand that in Jesus' day, Israel was an occupied territory. They were under Roman rule. They did not want to be under Roman rule. They were a conquered people, and as a result of that, you know, they were already impo- impoverished, but they were taxed like crazy. I mean, they, they had to pay more taxes than you can imagine. They had to pay poll tax. Uh, port tax, crossroads tax, bridge tax, property tax, income tax, wine tax, food tax. I mean, they taxed everything that you can think of. Well, Rome didn't want to have to fool with actually collecting taxes, so the way that they did it was pretty ingenious. They were able to kind of take in money on two sides. They would mortgage out, not mortgage, auction out the, the right to tax uh, local areas, particular regions, Uh, that they were in control of. And so wealthy people in Rome would bid in these auctions on the right to tax a particular group of people. And the reason they would bid on that is because it was so incredibly lucrative. So a wealthy person would win the bid to tax Palestine. And then what they would do is they would travel to that region and then they would hire a bunch of locals, a bunch of Jews in Palestine, who would actually be their men to go in and then actually levy the taxes And the reason this worked is because they had the Roman government behind them. So the Roman soldiers were the muscle to enforce this. And the way that Rome managed this was they just said, we want this much tax. Now, you who won the auction, you get to keep as much beyond that as you want to. And then the guys that you hire to actually collect the taxes, they can tax at whatever level they want to because they then get to keep everything else that's left. So you can just imagine they made lots of money so when the guys who won these auctions would go in and they would pick out local jews to collect this money what they were asking them to do was the unthinkable they were asking them to side with the opposition i mean it's a little bit like saying hey would you be willing to spend a part of your income you know supporting al-qaeda i mean you know they're they're a group They've, they've got to feed themselves and so would you be willing to to help to you know, help us to funnel some money to them. In fact, would you help us to go solicit funds from the people that you know to funnel money to Al-Qaeda? And we're like, are, are you kidding? Nobody in their right mind would do that. That's how despised they were. The Jews in Jesus' day would have despised Rome and their oppression like we would think about Al-Qaeda or anybody else who would want to do harm to our country. And the thought of funding that would be sickening. Well, that's what tax collectors are doing. They are helping to fund the hated opposition, and they were willing to do that because they just got a lot of money out of the deal. Are you beginning to feel how much they're hated? All right, that's who Matthew is. He is tax collector. Everybody, blah, 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 blah. we don't like tax collectors. So Jesus and his band come up on Matthew. Now understand, there, there is no group of 12 at this point. He doesn't have the apostles yet. He just has this mixed band of men and women who are following him around. There's really two groups of people who are following Jesus. There are those who like what they've seen and heard who are attracted to Jesus, and they're hanging with him and traveling with him because they really want to connect with him. And then there's a second group that's following from just a little bit of a distance, and they're the religious crowd who don't like Jesus. They don't like his message. They're highly skeptical of him, and they are there to keep tabs on him. They are the Pharisees. And so the inner circle that are hanging with Jesus, they come upon Matthew. He's in this little port uh, community, probably collecting port tax. He's at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus comes up to him, and he just has one simple message. Hey, Matthew, I want you to drop everything you're doing and come follow me. I want to be clear here. Jesus is a rabbi. So he's not inviting Matthew to lunch. He's not inviting him for a picnic or to spend the afternoon together. This is the formal invitation that a rabbi would give that is saying, I want you to come and learn from me. I want you to really spend time with me. I want to invest in you. We're going to really be together. This is the invitation to do that. Now, can you imagine in that moment what the inner circle that have been hanging with Jesus are thinking. I mean, you know, Peter is one of that, that group at this point. Peter never keeps his mouth shut. So I read a passage like this, and my brain immediately tries to flesh this out. Okay, what did this really look like? What all is going on while Jesus is just going, oh, Matthew, tax collector, I would really like for you to just come and stay with me and be a part of my group and us really have some time together. I can just picture Peter and the others going, whoa, oh, dude, time out! Do you not get it? Tax collector! If he follows you, that means he's with us. And that's a problem because we are not with him. We don't want to be with him. Can't you just picture the Pharisees? They're watching this from just, you know, probably a few steps away going, Does he not understand who he's talking with? He's actually talking with a tax collector. The tax collectors were completely left outside of the religious system. They could not come to the temple. They did not participate in the sacrifices. They were totally on the outside. And the Pharisees have got to be going, what is he thinking? Tax collectors cannot be included. Why would he ask a tax collector to be a part of this thing? And to to just look at what Jesus did do. I mean, think about what Jesus could have said at that moment. I mean, what do you say if you're Jesus in that moment? I mean, I'd be tempted to go, so, Matthew, I bet your mom's really proud of what you've done with your life so far. Or, you know, at at the very least, that he might go, look, Matthew, I've been thinking about inviting you to join us, but I just want to be clear about some things. There is some junk you have got to give up. There are some allegiances you've got to break, and there's some new stuff you're going to have to start doing. And I want to know, if you're serious about this, if you're willing to commit on the front end, are you ready to buy in, dude? He doesn't say any of that. He just says... I want you to come be with me. I want you to follow me. That's it. And shockingly, Matthew gets up and he leaves his tax collector's booth and he follows Jesus. So this just begs one question for the day. Not how much do you know how much Bible did you read this week? Not how long have you prayed? Just one question. Are you following Jesus? Are you daily actively seeking to know and follow Jesus? This is the heart question of the faith. If it sounds too simple, you're in good company. It had to sound too simple to everybody around Jesus. I mean, don't you know they're wanting to scream, it can't be that easy. He's a stinking tax collector. It can't just be as simple as come on and join us. And yet, Jesus made it that simple. And it's still how simple he makes it today. And then Matthew adds this wonderful detail. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Oh, that's so good. I mean, it's already bad enough. Jesus, you just asked the dude to walk around with us and he's probably going to wind up eating with us. That's bad enough. But then Jesus is like, our first order of business is, uh, Matthew, what you got going on right now? Uh, well... Uh, I was actually having a party tonight and uh, a lot of my tax collector friends and some of their friends were coming. And Great. We'd like to come. Can't you hear Peter and the others at this point? Are you kidding me? It's one thing to hang out with a guy. Now we've got to go to his house. We've got to go to a party that's going to be nothing but tax collectors and sinners. I love that phrase, tax collectors and sinners. I don't know who all gets included in the phrase and sinners I'm just I'm just guessing. It's you know maybe alcoholics or you know prostitutes. Or, I don't know. But it's like okay, as bad as we are, you can call us and the sinners, but please don't associate us with the tax collectors. We'll go to parties with them, but we want to. We just want it to be known. We are sinners. We are not tax collectors. They are like Bleh, bad. the bad. disciples have to be going. Ah, we got to go to a party at their house. Okay, may, let's try and put this in 21st century terms. And I, I'm not trying to be offensive. I just want you to to think this through. If Jesus is leading us today and we're walking around and he comes upon somebody who is openly gay and they're not hiding that fact, and he just immediately goes, oh, I want you to follow me. And he doesn't tell them anything they need to change or clean up. I just want you to follow me. And they're like, okay, I'll do that. And he goes, oh, by the way, what are you planning on doing tonight? Well, I was going to go to a gay bar where I was meeting some of my friends, and we were just going to kind of party there. It's like, great, that is exactly where I want to go. Team, that's where we're headed tonight. How many of you are on board for that tonight? Because we just read the story that's the equivalent of that. We just picked a different group to look down on today. We don't call them tax collectors. We call them homosexuals. woo. You've got to watch out for those people. They're like tax collectors. You go to a tax collector party, you get tax collector cooties. You hang around gay people, you might get gay cooties. I want to tell you, Jesus was tickled to death to go to a tax collector's house and be at a tax collector party. It's just like the day he met the little runt named Zacchaeus. What was he? Tax collector. And out of all the crowd, he looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, come on down here because I'm going to your house today. We're going to have lunch at your house. Jesus loved to go to places that would just destroy his reputation so that he would have the opportunity to impact and change a life. There was this thing about Jesus. He was incredibly comfortable with people who were nothing like him. And the really shocking thing is people who weren't anything like Jesus apparently were incredibly comfortable around him. And I find that all at the same time incredibly encouraging and inviting and also terribly convicting. On the inviting side of that, I'm like, I'm relieved. Because, see, you don't really know all of me. Just like I don't know all of you. We all keep certain things hidden from each other because if we let it all out there, we'd be afraid to hang around one another. Because, you see, there's a tax collector in all of us. There's some pretty gross, ugly stuff hidden in everyone. I know, we cleaned up pretty good for church today. But it's the truth. We've all got some pretty jacked up stuff on the inside. We're going to keep that hidden from each other today because we might not all get together next week if we knew all that. We might not be able to handle that. So I'm really glad that broken people felt so comfortable with Jesus. But I'm really concerned. I'm not sure that I make broken people feel comfortable around me. That worries me. Because when you're an insider, you can get to the point that you're just used to being with insiders. You're just used to being with people who look like you. I mean, stop and look around the room right now for a moment. Just Go, go ahead, look around the room. Okay, don't answer out loud. But do you see some similarities? It doesn't take a genius. We look pretty much alike in this room. Now, the truth is, we're broken people. We're broken people who need Jesus. But, I mean, Jesus reached out beyond the lines of people who looked like him. And he made those people feel so at home when they were around him. And I want to say to those of us in the room, and particularly probably to some people who are watching and listening online, some who have had some bad experiences along the way, And maybe in your heart you feel like an outsider looking in. I just want to tell you, if anywhere along the way you've ever felt anything other than love, acceptance, warmth from us, I just want to tell you, it is not our Savior's fault. It is not His fault at all. It's our fault. Because I promise you, Jesus would have looked at you in the middle of your struggles and your failures, and he would have only loved you. And some of you, some of us in the church, got something other than that. And I'm sorry for that. If you've been through that, I'm sorry for you. I've been through that. But I just want to tell you, that doesn't represent Jesus. Because Jesus looked at what looked like the worst of the worst and said, boy, I want to be with you. I want to go to your house. I want to go to your party. He had that capacity to see the whole of a person, to know the depth of their sin, and to still love them. And I can promise you this today. If Jesus were here in the flesh and he looked at you, and he knew all of your sin, he would love you. If he looked at you, and he even knew your hidden thoughts that would totally weird you out for anybody to ever know about, he would still love you. That is such good news. That's the real Jesus. That's not the pretend Jesus says version. That's the real Jesus. Jesus. Well, Jesus' choice of Matthew had to be incredibly confusing for the Pharisees who were wondering, why? I mean, we're good people. We're the ones in the robes. We've got the Scripture strapped to our heads. We are professional holy men. Why would he not pick any of us? And he picks the tax collector. Jesus gets that they're questioning this. He has an answer. Verses 11 and 12. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have to kind of chuckle when I read that because I'm thinking, the way that this is written, and it's Matthew telling the story, lots of people are hearing this conversation. And again, it's kind of like good news, bad news. Jesus is going, you just go tell those guys. I didn't come for healthy people. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. That's why I'm hanging out with sick people. And about this time, Matthew's probably going, Hey, Jesus, I get what you're talking about, but that's kind of offensive. <laughs> like, I am pretty certain you just called us sick people. And can't you just picture Jesus? I mean, who is the picture of grace and truth? Going, come on, Matthew, dude. I love you. I mean, I came to your party, but I mean, you've got to get it. You're, you're a tax collector. You're pretty sick. Matthew's probably going, yeah. oh yeah, that's right, we are sick. High five. Let's go on with the party. Because you've got to be right. I mean, yeah, we're pretty sick. If Jesus looks at us today, he loves us. He loves you. But he's also just making the point, you know, if you're going to connect with me and follow me and be close to me, you've got to be in touch with your own sickness. I came for the sick. You're not going to really be a part of me unless you realize how sick you are. Can we just agree, we are some sick people. I mean, at the very least, as moms and dads, I mean, think about it. We don't even follow our own rules, do we? Do we? I mean, as dads, think about the things that we're so concerned about for our sons and for our daughters. We want to make sure you don't ever do this, you don't ever play with this, and you don't ever drive this way, and you don't ever... and, And you don't even pay attention to your own rules. You don't even do the things that you expect your kids to do. As a boss, the things that you require of your employees, you fully expect them to do, and you don't even follow your own rules. And if there's a God, and He has a standard, and Jesus is it, you flat out know you don't measure up to God's standards. You don't need a preacher to tell you that, do you? I don't need somebody else to tell me that. The guy I shave with every morning, just looking at him as a reminder, I don't measure up. I am sick, but the good news in that in that is that Jesus came for the sick. And I can't help but imagine that uh, as James is you know one of the disciples is heading out to deliver Jesus' message to the Pharisees, it's like Jesus stops and goes, wait 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 wait, there's one more thing I want you to tell the religious crowd outside, and he gives them verse thirteen. Add this to him, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, it is like Jesus has got an open wound and he just poured some salt in it with the Pharisees. It is so incredibly offensive what he is saying now because, again, he's sending a message back out to the most religious people on the planet. These guys spend their full-time energy being good. Memorizing the scripture, we know the Bible like nobody else knows it. We are so committed to it, we tie it to our foreheads. We are God's people. And Jesus goes, since these guys have got all the questions, let me offer an answer to them. You tell them to go look up in Hosea, Yeah, since they memorize the Bible. You just tell them to go look up in Hosea and figure out what this means. Remember what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice representing the the ritual The list. He said, what I desire is mercy. And in case they don't understand what that means, let me clue them in. I've come to call sinners, not the righteous. (laughs) He is winning friends and influencing people with each breath. Jesus is saying, I have come to call people who don't believe right or behave right. Don't miss that. That's the heart of what he's saying. I have come for the people who don't believe the right stuff and who don't behave the right way. A church, we've got to really guard against this. Because when gravity sets in, it's human nature that over time, a church becomes a group of people who look more and more alike And they get together around these two basic things. We believe the same stuff and we behave the right way. Now I'm not saying that doctrine doesn't matter. It certainly does. But we dare not ever become a church that's just a bunch of people who believe right and behave right. Because I'll promise you this, the day that that becomes who we are, we'll be one of those groups that gets together in a holy huddle and wonders why it is that we are on the outside looking in at others who experience the presence of Jesus and we're wondering why he's not in our presence. I mean, can I just remind you of a terrible reality that's happening right now. It's 1134. So in this moment, in more places than at any other time of the week, holy huddles of church-going people have gotten together and in more places than we'd ever want to dream, There is no significant manifestation of the presence of Jesus among them. They're like the Pharisees huddled up outside going, we don't understand. Why is it Jesus out here with us? We're the spiritual people. If he's really who he's supposed to be, why wouldn't he be here with us? Why is he in there with all those broken, sinful people? I want to promise you, on March 16th, 2014, Jesus is not showing up in a significant way among a bunch of self-righteous people who dress right and look right and act right and declare that they believe right just because they got together in some holy huddle of people who all have got it right. That is not where Jesus showed up this morning. Jesus is showing up among broken people who are desperate and hungry and hopeless apart from Him. And the day we ever think that we've become more than that, don't expect Jesus to show up here. Jesus shows up among broken people who desperately need him. And the day that we ever graduate from that point, expect to see less and less of Jesus in this place. And at the risk of just going out on a limb, chasing a a rabbit... It's part of the reason that I want to really guard against some of the things that have just been so ritualistic about church. And and you know, this is a silly detail, but it's part of the reason this is never going to be the place where it's going to be the norm to put on your Sunday clothes and to look your Sunday best because friends, at the heart of that has always been a sense of pretense that if we dress right, then we'll be acceptable to God and each other. And friends, I don't need any extra help in turning me into a hypocrite. I'm good enough at that on my own. I don't need for me or for you to create any exterior pressure to try and look like something other than what you are. And you know what? If it's just who you are to put on a coat and tie, great! Put on a coat and tie. I don't care, but I don't ever want to pastor or be a part of a church where we become a bunch of religious people who put on an outward appearance. And I don't just mean the way that you dress, but who give some outward appearance. Oh, yes, bless the Lord. We believe right and we behave right all the time when the truth of the matter is there's so much hypocrisy in that. All we'd have to do is trail each other until we get home on Sunday afternoon or get up on Monday morning to find out that what we show on Sunday isn't how we live on Monday. And the world sees through that. We see it in ourselves. The message of the Pharisees was, you change. And you can join us. And the message of Jesus was, just join us. And you will change. Those are two very different things. As a church, we've always got to stay so connected to Jesus and His mission of always just being among the broken, recognizing that we're a part of the broken and that it is our mission to love, connect with, reach out to, and minister to people who are broken who don't look anything like Jesus. Jesus' message to Matthew was a very simple one. I'm not asking you to do anything other than get up and follow me. Unspoken in that message, I don't care what you believe about me right now. I just want you to follow at this point. And that's Jesus' invitation today. Wherever you are, whatever your beliefs, whatever your lifestyle. It's not... Here's all that you've got to change. Now, it's just, I just want you right where you are to begin to follow me. And I want to offer a warning with that. If you'll take that invitation, you just be advised. Look out. Because one of these days, you're going to get up and you're going to look in the mirror and you're not going to recognize who you see. Because if you accept the invitation to get to know Jesus and to follow him over time, you're going to begin to live differently. And it's not going to be because you got up in the morning and rehearsed, okay, good Christians don't ever do this, this, and this. Good Christians don't go to bad movies. Good Christians don't listen to bad music. Good Christians don't date bad girls. And a good Christian always reads his Bible and he prays and he goes to church and he tithes and he memorizes Scripture and he worships and he lifts his hands in worship and worship. And those thoughts being rehearsed won't make you any better, but you'll see yourself changing as a result of being with Jesus, knowing Him and loving Him. So I know at this point it's late and some of you are getting nervous because you're like, oh, goodness, we have a long-winded pastor to begin with and he has four points in a sermon and he hadn't preached one of them yet. <laughs> All right, it's okay. It doesn't take me long to cover what I'm going to say here at the end, the last four points. There are four truths about following Jesus and they're simple. The first one is this. <clears throat> being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. In fact, it's a prerequisite. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Let me say again. Aren't you glad that it's a prerequisite to be a sinner, to follow Jesus? <laughs> Which, that, Amen and OME, oh me, that's, that's true for us. You know, everybody who ever followed Jesus was truly a sinner, a messed up person. The extraordinary thing is that Jesus picked out such a notorious sinner in Matthew and before he had prayed, repented, gone to church, given anything, given up anything, committed to anything, made a public profession, before any of those things... Jesus says, I want you right here in the heart of things. I want you following me. I want you close to me. The message in this is simple. It means there's no sin, no habit, addiction, illness, or problem that puts you outside the circle of those who are invited to follow Jesus. Aren't you glad? And you may say, I I know, some of you listening right now, there's a part of you that's like, that sounds so good, but I mean, preacher, you just don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know about the abortions. You don't know about my unfaithfulness. You don't know about my divorce. You don't know about all the stuff that I've done in the past. Guess what? You're right. I don't know and it doesn't matter. It just means you fit the bill. Jesus would look at you. He would love you. He would choose you. He does choose you. Your sin will not keep you out. It's a prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus. Second thing, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. Ooh, that's a shocker, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is, none of Jesus' earliest followers were believers. I know on this one, some people are going, whoa, wait a minute, I've got to think about that. Being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify me from following Jesus? Absolutely Apparently, all of Jesus' earliest followers had major problems with what they believed about Jesus and pretty much none of them got it right during the first few years that they followed him. I mean, it's why again and again and again he's having to chastise them saying, why is it you don't believe? Where's your faith? Over and over, he would do something. I mean, just like in Matthew 8, the day that they're uh, in the boat with him on the Sea of Galilee and a terrible storm and Jesus calms the storm. What was their response? Who is this? Who who is this guy? That wasn't just rhetorical. They did not understand who they were in the boat with. Again and again throughout his ministry, he would do miracles and they're just shocked. They're like, What in the world? Who who is this guy? Two years into his ministry, Jesus performs a miracle, and the gospel writer says, And they finally believed. Two years in Three years into the deal, Jesus takes them away to Caesarea Philippi because he's about to set his face for Jerusalem and lead them to the unthinkable. And he takes them aside and says, so who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, there's a lot of opinions on that. You know, John the Baptist, Isaiah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. I mean, a lot of different thoughts on that. Yeah, so who do you say that I am? And you can just hear a lot of them going, we've been wondering that for about three years. And thankfully, one out of the twelve Peter hits a grand slam that day. He goes, I finally have got it. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, yes, finally. And you didn't just figure that out, Peter. God revealed that to you. Now we can start three years in. One of the twelve has got it. Some of them didn't believe until after the resurrection. That's gigantic faith, isn't it? In fact, one of the twelve had such a problem with unbelief, he got a nickname out of the deal. Remember him? He's one of the inner twelve, doubting Thomas. I mean, Thomas is the guy post-resurrection. Ten of his closest friends are going, you ain't going to believe this. We have seen him. We have talked with him. It's the real deal. He's alive. And Thomas is going, I don't think so. I've got serious doubts. What if it's a lie? What if it's a trick? I just don't think I can believe. And when Jesus sees them face to face, does he go, Thomas... I am sorry, but I just can't handle people who don't believe. No, nope. What did he do? Come a little closer, Thomas. Come on. You want to put your fingers in here? It's okay. Feel the holes. I want you to know it's me. It's that hole right there. You can put your whole hand up in there and feel of it. I want you to come as close as you need to, to see and feel and know. Jesus didn't push him away because of his unbelief. Jesus drew him in, in spite of his unbelief. Here's the incredible thing. So many feel like, I don't think I can be close to God because I've got my doubts about God. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you deep down inside in places that you don't let other people know about, you carry some doubts and questions about God. And there's a part of you that feels like, oh, God must not like me. He must be so ashamed. I don't even know what to believe. I've got these doubts. I just want to tell you, if you're at a place where you're going, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Or if, he, if if I did believe he's a historical character, I think he was a great teacher, but I don't know if he was divine. I don't know if he rose from the dead. I don't know what to think about these things. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter whether you believe he's divine or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe the Bible or not. It doesn't matter whether you're convinced that he rose from the dead or not. None of those things are prerequisites for you to begin following Jesus. Because quite honestly, hardly anybody in the scriptures who started following Jesus had any of those things in their favor. Jesus would not at all hold you at arm's distance because of your doubts and questions. If you would just be willing, right where you are, with all of your concerns, all of your questions, where you may be going, I don't even know if I believe the Bible. It's okay. You don't have to believe the Bible. Would you just be willing to take a simple challenge? I'm not like playing mind games with you. I'm just making the same invitation that Jesus made. Would you be willing to try out following Jesus? You don't have to believe in Him to try it. And I'm not saying it's to talk down to you. I've carried enough doubts in my life, enough years of my life, that I just, I've learned it's okay. God takes you where you are. And if you'll try following Him, something amazing happens on the inside. If, if you're willing, just do this. We said we want to just peel away all the religious junk all the preconceived ideas, and just find Jesus. So why don't you do that? Why don't you join me through through the season of Lent and beyond? Just start right now. Pick one of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just start with chapter 1, verse 1, and just start reading. I mean, you can read an entire biography of Jesus in an hour or two, and you may want to tackle one quickly that way, but I'm talking more in terms of over time, taking maybe like a chapter a day, and you just go to that with the full intention of you know, just saying, Jesus, if you're real, I'd like to get to know you. And, and here's just the, the heart of the challenge. Read it and seek to begin to practice what you see in Jesus and what you hear from Jesus when you look there. Don't worry about what you've been taught all your life and all the rules. Lay that aside. I just want to meet Jesus and follow him. And let me just say, I get it. Some of what Jesus is going to say is going to blow your doors off. Some of it's going to be stuff you never heard in church before. I'll guarantee you that. Because there's stuff pastors won't touch that Jesus said. Just try and do what he says. And I know for some, it'll overwhelm you just to go, seriously? Especially if you start in Matthew. You're going to get to about the end of Matthew 5 and be going, how am I supposed to do all of it?" It's okay. Tackle the easy teachings of Jesus. You just begin to do what you can. To get to know Jesus and follow Him and watch what happens. Don't worry about how much you believe or don't believe. You just try that. Does that sound like a fair experiment? This is the invitation of Jesus. Just come. Get to know me. Learn from me. And watch to see what happens. The third thing about following Jesus. The invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship. It's not an invitation to the Ten Commandments. It's not an invitation to a new rule list. I mean, think about it this way. A lot of you are married or have been married. If you had to choose a partner for life, a marriage partner for life, which of these two would you be more inclined to choose? If, you know, contestant number one says, I have read the book of marriage and I know all the rules of married life and I am committed, I will obey all the rules of marriage for as long as I live, and you can count on that, I'll never break the rules, I expect the same from you. Or, contestant number two, who says, look, I'm not going to always get it right, in fact, I can tell you, sometimes I'm going to break the rules, sometimes I'm not going to make the bed, sometimes the house isn't going to be clean, sometimes I'm not going to you know, have a great attitude, sometimes I'm going to be in a bad mood, but I can promise you this, I will love you and I will seek to love you more the longer than I'm with you, and I will seek to let love drive the relationship. But I'm going to break the rules sometimes. I'm going to mess up. Is there anybody in the room who would choose option one as your partner? Well, y'all are just like the first service crowd. What's wrong with you? Nobody wants option one. Nobody wants the rule keeper. Everybody wants person number two. Why? Because we get it relationships are not about rules. And in fact, lists of rules don't make for a good relationship. Some of you have tried it, haven't you? Yeah, some of you right now are like wanting to punch your spouse. Like, Yeah, thanks for your list on the refrigerator, all the rules that we're supposed to live. It, it doesn't work, does it? Relationships are about love and how love transforms the way that we relate to each other. So what Jesus knows is that if you begin loving Him, getting to know Him, you're going to love Him, and as you love Him, it will change. It'll change how you live. It'll change how you think. And it won't be because you got up in the morning and you rehearsed all the do's and all the don'ts and then you really stayed focused on that all day long. No, it's going to be because the better you got to know Jesus, the more you just wanted to be with Him and wanted to be like Him and wanted to live a life that would be pleasing to Him. What we're discovering is essentially what Paul was talking about in Romans 2, 4 when he says that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Such a radically refreshing thought. That it's not rules and it's not fear that lead us to become a different kind of people. I think I spent a lot of my life believing that fear was a big part of it. You know, pretty much that idea. God's holy and he's ticked off and one of these days he's going to let you have it for every time you've screwed up. Some of you are still carrying around some you know, repressed fear, about. I know there's a trip to the woodshed that is coming for me for what I did 10 years ago because I know I haven't paid the full price for that and God's still going to get me. I know there's a, there's a whooping coming one day for me. And I want to tell you, that is not how God operates. He's not waiting for the day to get you back for how you failed a long time ago. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. What's repentance? It's a change in how you think that changes how you behave. It's not behavior modification. We've got a bunch of new rules to live by. No, it's man, I'm in this love relationship that I just can't be who I used to be because it's changing me. The, the kindness of God, the tenderness and goodness of God. Well, how, how do you get in on that, by the way? How do you get in on the goodness of God? Proximity. You, you just get near where Jesus is and you'll experience the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. And boy, does that just stir up love inside of us. fourth and final thing about following Jesus is this. Following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am rather on where you are not. I know that almost sounds like a typo, but it's what I meant to say. causes me to focus on me, where I am, and what I'm supposed to be doing instead of being focused on you and how you're not where I am and how you're not where I think that you should be. This is addressing the heart of the the deal of why Christians that you know who aren't actively following Jesus have become Pharisees. You ever notice that? Oh, it's consistent. If you are a Christian, but you're not actively following Jesus, you turn into a Pharisee. The people who go around with their rule lists. And and you've been around them. You've seen this if you've been in church. It's like, okay, Terry... I just can't believe you, man. You're in jeans. We're in church. What is the deal? Don't you know Jesus would not wear jeans to church? Jesus would dress up for church. What is wrong with you people? Singing these choruses on a screen. Don't you know Jesus uses the Baptist hymnal? The 1975 edition was his favorite. And look at all of you out there with the NIV Bibles and all this stuff. Jesus used the King James. You know, whatever our stupid list is. I know those things aren't your list, but you know what I'm talking about. we just got the dumbest list in the world of all the things that we can judge each other by. When you come to the place that the focus of your life is just a real simple one, that you get up every day and it's not a prayer of, Oh, Jesus, you know, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to do the 12 things that make you happy and avoid the 10 vices that make you mad. Instead, when we can just get up and say, Jesus, I'm not going to try and make this into a list of do's and don'ts. I just want to do one thing today. I just want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to live close to you. I want to do the things that you lead me into today. And that is it. It is so liberating. It's so life-giving. It's so relational and alive. And it's so different from what I turned it into when I was growing up can say this, church-going Christians who stop actively following Jesus would usually spend much of their time evaluating and judging others. The more conscious I am of the work that God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what God has yet to do in you. Don't you know that's the truth? When I can become fully focused on just the thing of, I'm trying to follow Jesus today. And that's a bit of a challenge because He's an invisible God for me. I don't see Him with my eyes. And so I'm learning this whole challenge of hearing His voice, which is not an audible voice most of the time. I'm trying to follow an invisible God. And and He has a call on my life, and He has a plan for me today. And when I'm busy trying to follow that, I just don't even have time to worry about Terry and what he's wearing over here. You know what anybody else is giving to God or how much time they've read their Bible or what kind of movie they've gone to. I don't care. I don't care for a couple of reasons. One, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I am in touch with my own brokenness and my own sin. and I'm like, I don't have any room to judge anybody. And the more I'm consumed with wanting to follow Jesus, the more I'm just like, How I follow Jesus isn't going to be the same way John Beck follows Jesus. I mean, we'll have some things in common, but God's got a different path for John than he has for me. John doesn't need to be where I am because he's following Jesus, doing some other stuff from what I'm doing. So I don't need to judge where John is not. I just need to be consumed with where I am in relation to what Jesus has for me, which brings us back to the one core question in life, and that is, am I following Jesus? What do I do with that? The question is not, am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Am I tithing? Am I following Jesus? And how would I begin to do that? This is part of what's so wonderful and winsome about the church. A healthy church. A church that's filled with broken people who are hungry, who are all doing what I'm talking about, who just say, we abandon the rules, we refuse to play, Jesus says, we together are each going to get up and every day say, Jesus, just one thing, we just want to know and follow you. When you get a group of those people together, it has wonderful, transforming power in your life. And I get it. There are some of you here and probably even more who are watching online, particularly some people who are watching online, who've been so burned by church, the thought of connecting with other people just sounds a little too scary. I get it. I know where that came from. Church people hurt you, didn't they? I've got some of those stripes. Shoot. The last church I went to, I was the pastor. I started the church and they threw me out. I'm serious. I mean, has anybody got a worse story than that? I pastored it for 11 and a half years. I'm the guy who founded the place, and they asked me to leave. And I'm not saying that to pick on them. I'm just telling you my story. That's pretty bad. Some of you are going, man, you must have been a lousy pastor. Did they ask you to leave a church that you started? That's my story. And, and I can laugh about that now, but I want to tell you that the reality of that was The whole experience of divorce and being asked to leave a church where I was the pastor and had started the church. Months later, when we started Freedom, and as always, know that small groups are vitally important. I'm just being honest. I spent the entire first year here telling you to join a small group, and I refused to join a small group. See, I had the perfect cover. I helped Tom and Paula launch every new small group so we would spend a month with each new group that was starting and it gave me a parachute. I could, you know, once we start the group, we go, then we start the next cycle with the next group. And now I've been doing this for years, but I would always have a group that I was a part of. So I would do both of these things, but I needed to belong to a group. See, I intentionally, first year, I would not participate in a group. And you know why? It wasn't because I was too busy, I was too hurt, I was too afraid. I didn't trust anybody. I did not want to I didn't want to belong. Because it was it was good church people that I felt had helped to step on my heart. It was good church people who, you know, a lot of them just didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And that just hurt so badly that I didn't want to take the chance on that again. So it was like it was safe for me to help start groups and then I would leave you before you could leave me. A month later, I'm out of here, I'm gonna go start another new group, and I don't go to group. But I covered that pretty well. And you know, a year of that, and my heart was just aching because there was something missing. I needed that vital connection with people who really knew me. I mean, you know something of me by being in here, and you hear my heart every week. But you don't know me as well as the people who are in my small group that we really get to share and do life together. And we all need those kinds of connections. I get it. If your past has been painful enough, you've been hurt enough, there are some of you who are like, okay the most I've been willing to do is I'll come on a Sunday morning where I can sort of be anonymous and I'll take it in and then I'll leave. And some of you, that's right where you are right now. You've just you've been checking it out here or you've been checking it out online and there's been something positive enough that's kept you coming back but you haven't really been willing to brave the waters of actually getting connected. I'm not doing a commercial for church membership here. I don't care about I really don't care whether you're a member or not. But don't miss the fact that everyone that you read about in the Gospels who became a follower of Jesus, they didn't get a one-on-one relationship with Jesus only. They became a part of a small community of people who were likewise committed to following Jesus. And that so impacted them. Because only for a little while did Jesus hang with them in the flesh. He went back to heaven and then they lived the rest of their lives having to, to really draw from each other as they sought to follow Christ together. And they really were dependent on that. And we need that. What I'm saying to you is this. The invitation is so simple. It is an invitation to say, forgetting whatever else I need to forget, I focus on this one thing. I want to know Christ and follow Him. But understanding, Jesus isn't on earth in the flesh anymore. But the body of Christ is here. And we are the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of Jesus in the world. And so this thing that's become so popular, saying, well, we don't want to go to church. We're just going to be the church, and we're not going to really be involved with organized religion. I get where people got turned off to organized religion, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus loved the church, and he longs to see some broken, sin-stained people who struggle with doubts and all that stuff come together, desperate for him, Knowing that we just don't have anything good in us except Jesus and get together and actually join together in this journey of faith. And when you find a fellowship of people, a church or a small group of people who are committed to that, don't leave it. Don't hold back. Don't stay at a safe place. Dive in. Took me a year to dive back into small groups. I am so glad I did. I love it. It's life giving. Some of you need to do the same thing that I did and just go ahead and take the plunge and quit looking in from the outside. This isn't a commercial for small group. It's not a commercial for church. But I am trying to say to you, there, in following Jesus, there are some tangible things. We need to be willing to go to the Scriptures and with a fresh lens, just say, Lord, show me Jesus. Help me to follow the, the Jesus that I find here. And help me to to connect with some other people who are just committed to that same thing. I don't want to make rules for them. I don't want their rules for me. Does that sound inviting to you? It sounds irresistible to me. Wouldn't want to pastor anything less than that. Wouldn't want to belong to a church that was anything less than that. I love belonging with you. It took me a while to trust you. That was my issue. That wasn't yours. It did wasn't anything that you had done, it was my past. Any of you feel that? Any of you been at a place, or at a place where you're like, "Ah, I'm not sure I trust you as a pastor because pastors hurt me in the past. I'm not sure I trust these people seated around me because there's people who look like them who messed me up in the past. It's okay. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we'll let you down at some points because we still got some issues. But this we put ahead of everything else. We're going to follow Jesus. I'll give you that much... The pastor of this church is committed. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I know some other people here who are committed to the same thing. You want to sign on for the same thing? I just believe God will do something extraordinary among us if we'll just keep the main thing, the main thing. I'll promise you this. We won't turn it into a big game of Jesus Says. Would you join me as we go to him together in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you that for all the ways that we mess it up, for all the scars and bruises that we carry that mess us up. Thank you that you don't give up. Thank you that you've pursued us when we've run away. Thank you that you've stayed faithful when we've been unfaithful. Thank you just for loving us when we haven't looked lovable. Thank you for your simple invitation to come and follow. I just want to ask you in simple and straightforward way. How many of you would say today, and, and I don't want anybody else looking around. We're not keeping score. I'm just asking you. Really, this is your response to God. But how many of you would say, boy, I am in need of a fresh start of just getting to know Jesus and following Him. I need some things stripped away. I just want to start over following Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? I'm the first one. I am right there with you. Lord, you see our hands and you know our hearts. I don't have anything to offer these folks other than you. Would you help us, every one of us in our individual circumstances, to press in and truly get to know you, Jesus? Would you put a hunger in us for the scriptures? And would you just begin to help us fall in love with who you are? Lord, by your grace, would you strip away our scars and scabs and and all of the baggage that's been attached to church and and faith? Would you help us to rediscover you? We thank you for that. Thank you for your love.